I think some days that's a tough song to sing. God, whatever comes my way, I will trust you. Well, we want to learn how to do that better. And so we're in a series, if this is your first Sunday here at Windsor Road, we're so happy to have you here. Uh, My name is Randy. I'm privileged to serve as the lead minister here at the church. And um, um, our series is about heaven, hope for heaven. And today we're going to tackle a pretty difficult topic, um, heaven and incurable cancer. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 10. You'll find 2 Corinthians chapter 12 on page 970 in your church Bibles. You can follow along with me. If you don't have a copy of God's Word to call your own and you would like to receive a a copy of the Bible, just take uh, one of the copies in the pouch in front of you and receive it as a gift from our church family. The Apostle Paul writes, I must go on boasting. Now, why would he say that? I must go on boasting. I didn't think that was good. We're in a church. Who, Who does that? Well, we're going to find out. I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. So, so the phrase third heaven and paradise, same, same place, okay? Two different ways of saying the same place. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is God's word. 
Charles Spurgeon was a powerful preacher in England in the 1800s. And he once said, I have learned to kiss the waves that dash me against the rock of ages. I've learned to kiss the waves that dash me against the rock of ages. Uh, I hope that we can learn that by the time we leave here today. As we think about this really sensitive subject of heaven and incurable cancer. And if I could just be candid with you all, I wish that I could just have coffee with each of you or tea or some beverage and just talk with you one-on-one about what it is we're going to learn today. Uh, I would love to hear your story. I would love to hear what God has been doing in your life. I'd love for us to just share some scriptures and be nourished uh, by the word together and just spend some time just just one-on-one because this is just a really difficult issue because some of us are here today and, you know, we have an incurable condition. And for some of us, it's a health matter. And the doctors have said there's not going to be a cure. It is what it is. Uh, I can give you relief, but there's not going to be a fix. Not this side of heaven. Um, Some of you are facing that now. Uh, But there are other incurable conditions. For some of you, it's not cancer or a tumor or a health issue. For some of you, it's uh, your marriage. You know, you've got a good marriage. It's here. You would like it to be here. You've prayed about it to be here. You've fasted about it to be here. You've read books about it to be here. But after you're praying and reading and fasting, it's here. And it's not going to change. It is what it is. Your spouse is who they are. And you don't want to get a divorce. But this is as good as it's going to get. For some of you, it's not marriage. It may be your children. You had hopes for them. You had dreams for them. And you created opportunities for them that you didn't have. And they're just not taking it. And how frustrating that is. Because you can see something that they can't see. And you wish that they could see it. You would like for them to see it. If you could take out your very eyes and transplant it and give it to them and give them your experiences and wisdom, you would do that. You would do that in a moment. But that's not going to happen. They are who they are. It is what it is. For some of you, it's a career issue. You thought that you would be further along in your career than you are right now. And, you know, it is what it is. You're not going to be promoted. You've hit a ceiling. And it's not that you're not qualified. You know, in some cases, it's because everybody else is qualified. And there are just a few positions open and you got passed over. Some of you would like to go back to school. You'd like to get into that particular school to help you with that. You know, but you're 55, not 25. 
And it's just not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. And, and something else may not happen. You're looking for, a, you're looking for marriage. And you're not going to settle. You want to be spiritually synchronized. And so you are praying and you are going to follow God's word. And you're going to be, what Paul says, equally yoked. But, you know, it's not happening. And time is ticking. And it is what it is. And you're just faced with the question in the mirror. You know, is this as good as it's going to get? And you know what's not helpful too? Some Christians can be really, really insensitive and silly. You know, you get into a conversation and, uh, uh, you know, uh, someone says, oh, oh, I just thank God for answered prayers and the blessings from above. And say, really, well, tell me about your answered prayer. Well, I got up this morning. And uh, I, you know, was going to be late to work. But as I was driving to work there on Kirby, I was about ready to pass Panera. And I wanted to get that very special latte that they serve there. And so as I pulled in to the lot, I prayed, Oh, Lord, would you please create an open parking space for me so that I may drive in to the closest spot by the door so that I might get my latte. And right as, I'm kidding you not, pulled into the parking lot, I mean, it was like Moses parted the Red Sea. And that lot came open and I went in and someone held the door open for me and then I raced right up to the cashier line. There was no line. In fact, all the people started following me afterwards. The line was behind me, not ahead of me. And then when I got to the cashier, the cashier held up this warm beverage and this person said, well, uh, this was a wrong order. Do you think you might be interested in it? And what? It was my very favorite special latte that I didn't even have to pay for at all. And I got it and I was at work early and blessings from above. And you're sitting there going, you, you wouldn't recognize a problem if it was staring at you in the face. Now, this is why I don't go to small groups. Right? Man. You know? What do you do when you don't know what to do? What do you do when you're faced with an incurable condition? Well, that's what I want us to talk about this morning. Because the Apostle Paul in our verses tells us about an incurable condition. He's writing to a church community. Paul brought Christianity to the ancient city of Corinth. And it was a it was a Godless culture, but the gospel broke through and lives were transformed and church communities were planted by this, by this one-time Christian killer who became Christianity's foremost proponent, planting churches all across the empire. Paul plants a church, a Christian community in Corinth and his correspondence to the Corinthian Christians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, if you kind of just put it all together, Paul had more to say to this church community than uh, any other church community that we, we read about in the New Testament. 
I mean, First and Second Corinthians are the largest correspondence to a particular Christian community than we have in all of Scripture. And he's writing to this church, and in these verses, he talks about an incurable condition that afflicted him sometime around the year A.D. 42, A.D. 42-ish. So he's writing this letter somewhere around the year A.D. 56. This is after he'd become a Christian. This was after his life had been straightened out by the Lord. This was after he had had a dramatic change for the good. After he realized who God was and and what his purpose in life was all about. And, And after that, something terrible happened to the Apostle Paul. He talks about this. He, um, uh, it was a, something debilitating. It was something humiliating. It was something incurable. It was permanent. And as we listen to how Paul explains his situation, I believe that we can get some wisdom and insight for those of us in our incurable situations Now, in verse 7, the Apostle Paul says that a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Paul describes this affliction as a thorn. And literally, we're not talking about a thorn of a rose bush. We're talking about a stake, that kind of thorn, or a spike. Or some, something like a, a tent peg. A spike was, and then he says this, he says something very interesting. He says, it was given by God and sent by Satan. How it, well, which is it? Yes. But well, how is that possible? Well, think of the cross of Jesus. Think of something that we read in Acts chapter 2 verse 23. Where the apostle Peter says to the crowds, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, given by God. And then Peter says, you crucified and killed at the hands of lawless men, sent by Satan. That's how. That's how it can happen. Given by God, sent by Satan. Uh, I'm thinking about uh, Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. When Joseph is speaking with his brothers who had betrayed him and sold him into slavery into Egypt, and then God took Joseph's life and he lifted him from the the pit, literally to the palace, to the officer of being prime minister. And when he met his brothers years later, and forgiveness had taken place. This is what Joseph said in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. He said, you intended this to harm me. God intended this for the saving of many lives. That's how that works. Given by God, sent by Satan. This thorn, this spike To harass me, that word, some of your translations have the word torment, harass. Uh, uh, Literally, that's the phrase, to beat someone on the head with a fist. It hurt. And we're not sure what this spike was. Some think that it was maybe a physical affliction of some sort. Uh, Maybe it was malaria. 
because of Paul's travels. Maybe it was an eye disorder that Paul had that was very painful. In the last chapter of the book of Galatians, the apostle Paul says, see what large letters I write with my own hands. Some think that it maybe was depression. The apostle Paul experiencing depression? Well, look up at 2 Corinthians chapter 11 when he says that, you know, I was beaten with robs, uh, uh, with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. At night and a day I was drifted at sea. On, I've been on frequent journeys. I've been in danger from rivers, danger from robbers. Wouldn't you be depressed? We're not exactly sure what this stake or this spike in the flesh was. But what the apostle Paul did was, was something that you and I would do. I mean, he, 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 it was excruciating. It was humiliating. It was debilitating. It was incurable. And Paul said, God, take this away. Make this leave. Verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Three times, three specific seasons. In other words, Paul repeatedly pleaded. He didn't just ask. He didn't just send it out on the prayer request. He pleaded with God, take this away from me. God, I can serve you better without this. I can plant more churches without this. I can write more letters without this. My sermons would be better without this. God, please make this go away. Some of you have been watching too much prosperity gospel. And you've kind of bought into this idea that if you just had more faith, you'd be cured. Well, really? Look at this. Three times I pleaded. Three times. And Paul heard nothing from heaven after the first two times. Nothing. Heaven was silent. And then he asked again. And then Jesus spoke. And he said, no. No. Paul, I'm not going to take this away. Um, But I will do this. I will flood you with my grace. Paul, I will give you grace upon grace upon grace. I will submerge you along with this debilitating spike in the ocean of my grace. And the reason why, Paul, is that my power reaches its most complete measure and its greatest potential in your weakness. My grace, verse 9, is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And I wish that either on your outline or in the margin of your Bible, you would just write this phrase. Theology of the cross Theology of the cross. You say, what's that? Here it is. The theology of the cross says that God is most present, not in our strengths, nor in our successes, or the things we like best about ourselves. Instead, God is present, and God is working in the world exactly in the place where 
your life is falling apart. Where you have discovered the limits of power instead of the possibilities of power. And it means that God is always involved with people and situations exactly as they currently are, not as you would like for them to be. Years and years and years ago, another pastor named Martin Luther said this, God receives none but those who are forsaken. He has mercy on none but the wretched. And he gives grace to none but those who are in disgrace. It's the theology of the cross. You see, hoping for something is categorically different than hoping in someone. And Jesus said, you know, Paul, I'm your hope. And my grace is your hope. And 2,000 years from now, there's going to be a church in Champaign, Illinois, that's going to read this letter that you wrote to that small Christian community. And they're going to be nourished just like those Corinthians were. And leaders are going to name, or leaders are going to be named after you. And parents are going to name their children Paul, and they're going to name their dogs Nero. That's how I work. That's how I work. See, Rome wins by winning. That's how Rome wins. Rome wins by winning. Jesus says, I'm going to win by losing. That's the deal. That's the deal. My grace is sufficient for you. And then, and then listen to what Paul says here in verses 9 and 10. I mean, who says this? You can't make this up. Paul says in verses 9 and 10, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul says, okay. If this is the word of the Lord for me, if this is God's word, then I'm all in. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let, let this get all over me. <laughs> I'm going to slather around in it. I'm not going to dodge it. I'm not going to pretend it's not there. I'm not going to hide from it. I'm going to immerse myself in this. That's exactly what I'm going to let this define me. I'm going to let my inability and my weakness define me. And I'm going to boast about that. Because in boasting about that, Christ's power and Christ's strength will be all the more magnified and glorified. I'm going to embrace my inability so that I might experience Christ's ability. And that's the lesson for us today. God wants me to embrace my inability so that I might experience Christ's ability. And I think this is just one of the most profound truths in all of Christianity. And for some of you who are um, seeking, some of you who are contemplating becoming a Christian, this could very well be a deal breaker for you. You're going to have to deal with this. And it's, it's this. People who face extraordinary circumstances, people who face extraordinary conditions, adversity, suffering, people who face these things and then 
become extraordinary? Why do they become extraordinary? They're not extraordinary because they're stronger. They're not extraordinary because they're smarter. They're not extraordinary because they're better. They're extraordinary because they got to the place in their life where they were willing and able to receive their adversity as a gift from their loving Heavenly Father. They got to the place where they were willing to embrace their inability so that they could experience Christ's ability. So if you want to experience the grace of God in your condition, you're going to have to embrace your condition. That's it. And you say, well, I may die. And you very well may. That was Paul's conclusion in 2 Corinthians 1.9. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Amen. Now, if what I've said so far isn't hard enough, I'm not done. (sighs) Let me give you something even harder. You see, there's a temptation when we read a passage of Scripture like this. It's a temptation that I have. And the temptation is this. Well, if I could just have a spiritual experience like Paul did, then I would be able to withstand what Paul withstood. Right? I mean, if I could just, you know, if I, if I, could, just, if I could just see paradise, then I'd, I'd be, I, could, I could deal with it. Here's the deal, though. Paul does not attribute his ability to endure his incurable condition to this spiritual experience. And you might say, well, well, then why does he mention it? Now, that's a fair question. Here's why. Remember, this letter was first written in a specific context to a specific community, to a specific people. After the Apostle Paul left the city of Corinth, the Corinthian Christians, young in the faith and immature, they came into contact with some false teachers. In fact, that's why 1 and 2 Corinthians was written, to correct these false teachings. One of the false teachings that Paul addressed here was that, you know, they thought, well, if Paul was really an apostle, if he was really a credentialed apostle, then he would be some, somewhat like these other celebrity teachers and false apostles who had these amazing celestial mystical experiences to share. And, and then these false teachers on top of that made the Corinthians pay a fee for them to share this stuff. Paul wouldn't do that. That wasn't Paul's style. And the thing is, they wouldn't let up. 
they kept pushing the apostle Paul. They said, you've got to be more like these other teachers, man. You need to market yourself. You need to brag some. You need to promote yourself better. You need to pay attention to your curb appeal and your public image more and more and more. And Paul finally just gets so frustrated. He says, oh, okay, you want me to brag? Okay, I'll brag, all right? Here's me bragging. This is me bragging. Take a look at chapter 11, verse 23. Paul talks about these false teachers. He says, are they servants of Christ? Well, I'm a better one. And he says, I'm talking like a madman. I cannot believe you've driven me to do this. Okay, I've had far greater labors, more imprisonments, and countless beatings, and often near death. And then he says in chapter 12, verse 1, I must go on boasting. See, that's the context. That's why he said what he said there. Though there's nothing to be gained by it. Okay, you want to hear visions and revelations? Fine, I'll give you my vision and revelation. And this is what Paul says. He says, but I'm going to brag my way. He says, I know a man. I know a man who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. I know a man in Christ. No. How does Paul know this man? Paul knows this man because he is the man. He just can't bring himself to say, I had this. So he's kind of does so indirectly, third person. Paul knows the man because he is the man. Yeah, okay. You want to hear about my experience? All right. Here it is. 14 years ago, I had a spiritual experience. And that's all he says. (laughs) That's it. That's, that, that's all he says in the next few verses. See, we think that if we could only have a spiritual experience, then we'd understand suffering better. But you really tell me, look, look at the text. What exactly does Paul say about his spiritual experience? 14 years ago, 14 years ago, that was a long time ago, nothing recent, nope. Well, was it in the body or out of the body? Paul says, I don't know. I have no idea. I don't have a clue. God knows, but I don't know. Well, well, what happened? Well, it's kind of hard to talk about. Well, I mean, like, why? Well, there's really no common frame of reference. You know? I mean, it's, I mean okay, so, so try explaining the internet to someone in the deep jungle of a remote primitive culture with absolutely no, uh, uh, you know, uh, technology, knowledge whatsoever. Go ahead. Try to explain the internet to them. All right? All right, go ahead. Try explaining electricity and how that works. No common frame of reference. Um, (laughs) Once I tried to explain American football to friends of mine from the country of Turkey. (laughs) So Randy, we do not understand. What is quarterback? And then what is halfback? And what is cornerback? And what is touchback? Try to explain touchback. Nope, no common frame of reference. Let's just talk about soccer, okay? Oh, okay. No common frame of reference here. So that's why the Apostle Paul says, you know, verse 4, he heard things that cannot be told. And then Paul says, not only is there no common frame of reference, but even if there was a common frame of reference... Paul says, I'm really not at liberty to discuss this. That's what's behind the phrase, which man may not utter. So, So one scholar put it this way, Paul has provided us with very little information about his extraordinary journey, and he has had nothing to say about its possible religious significance. 
How precisely he was taken up to paradise, he doesn't know. What he saw there, he doesn't say. And what he heard there, he must not repeat. See, the gospel is not going to be based on that kind of personal, spiritual, mystical experience. It's just not. His trip to paradise did not confirm his faith. Rather, what confirmed his faith was the gospel, the verifiable facts of history concerning the birth, the life, the ministry, the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ and how that message impacted the apostle Paul. And that's why he says in verse 6, you know, I don't want you to think more of me than what you see in me or hear from me. So Paul's ministry is going to be character-based. Character-based. And so when you open the Bible, you will see, you're going to see that those who brought us the life of Jesus, they were not strangers to adversity. The people who brought us the gospel, they made peace with this truth. My inability does not restrict God's ability. And God's silence does not equate to his absence. And God has a purpose, and I may know that or I may may not know that. But I always know his promise. It's a promise that he made to Paul, and it's a promise to us. And it's simply this. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And wasn't this true of our king himself? In Gethsemane, Jesus himself prayed three times. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And in the weakness and the shame and the defeat of the cross, God's power was put on display. And Paul says, that is my king. I am following him. And that's why I'm content. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weaknesses and insults, and hardships, and persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And you may say, but Paul, that's not the American way. And that's why you're not experiencing grace. And that brings us to us. If you believe that God can change your incurable situation, if you believe that he has the power to do that, but for some reason unknown to you, he has chosen not to, I want to tell you that you have the option, you have the choice to receive whatever it is you're dealing with as a gift from our loving Heavenly Father. It's a gift with a purpose and a promise. You may or may not know what that purpose is, but you know what the promise is. The promise of sufficient grace. Grace that would lead you to say, I would never wish this on anyone, and I wish it would go away, and I would never choose it again, but when I look back and I see the purpose and the power of God in my life, 
I found God there. I found God in the, in the place of my incurable condition. When I didn't think I could take it one more minute, I found, I found the God who raises the dead. I am so sad that this has happened, but I don't regret it. It changed my life. It brought me closer to God. I have learned to kiss the wave that drives me against the rock of ages. When God wants to drill a man and thrill a man and skill a man, when God wants to mold a man to play the noblest part, and when he yearns with all his heart to create so great and bold a man that all the world shall be amazed, watch his methods, watch his ways, how he ruthlessly perfects whom he royally elects, how he hammers him and hurts him and with mighty blows converts him into trial shapes of clay which only God understands. While his tortured heart is crying, and he lifts beseeching hands. How he bends but never breaks. When his good he undertakes. How he uses whom he chooses. And with every purpose fuses him. By every act induces him to try his splendor out. God knows what he's about.